Hi. Um, I'm Becky Basolto. I um, help out here at the church with our local and global outreach. Um, and so I get the privilege today to introduce our speaker, um, Tom Foley. Um, he's one of the missionaries that we support. He's with CEO International. And um, got a chance to kind of get to know Tom a little bit better and realize that um, we've actually had a relationship with him way back when, to um, about 12 years um, we've had a relationship with Tom. And we were actually his second supporter um, when he started CEO. So that's a pretty cool relationship. Um, and I, as I was kind of getting to know Tom over the last couple of days, um, realized two things about him. Um, <laughs> and the first is that he loves Jesus. Um, we actually talked about this, but, and I think it's true with Tom, that um, it oozes out of him. Um, he's one of those people that you can just tell loves the Lord and um, walks that out in his life. And, um, and it, it just kind of gets on people that he's around. And I think that's really special. And um, he loves people. Tom's kind of one of those guys that the minute you meet him, you feel like you're at home and that he's a friend. Um, and that is really important, I think, for what he does in terms of discipling and mentoring and teaching people. Um, it's really he's acting in his gifts when he does that with CEO. So... Um, so I'm really excited to hear from him today. I um, think we have a lot to learn from him, and um, that's it. So thanks. That seems to be the question of the morning, isn't it? Yeah, am I on? Can you hear me? Okay. Um, I'm really glad to be back. I've been so excited to come and... and uh, 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 this, this community has been supporting CEO since, um, 2002, I think. And, um, originally it was, it was to support an orphanage and then a camp and, and that was an incredible thing and that was, that was a blessing and then it moved into other things and, and, uh, four of the previous pastors from this church have been on the field with me and, uh, it was, it was this community uh, that I came to five years ago, five and a half years ago, to seek uh, wisdom of brothers to, to, to uh, decide, am I going to take a big step of faith? And it was, it was to this community that I traveled with my wife to, to find out. So I, I feel deeply uh, blessed, and I feel uh, uh, very invested in this community, and I'm so glad to be back. I'm always excited to come here. People say, why are you going out to California? Because I'm from, the, I'm from Virginia. I live in Charlottesville, Virginia. And if you don't know where that is, if you think of Thomas Jefferson, think about your fourth grade Virginia history class, right? Y'all, in fourth grade here in California, y'all do study Virginia history, don't you? Right? I would hope so. I mean, come on. And, uh, but I, I live in the city where Monticello is. And so... Uh, uh, way back when, when friends would come to town, if you had uh, a, a driver's license that showed that you lived in Albemarle County or in, in Charlottesville, you could go in with the guests free. No, nah, it doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> so, so, but that was, that was a great thing, and um, I need somebody to help me raise this. And I, is it this thing? Okay. And then, and then, tug? I'm not going to tug. Uh, I am not tugging. Ah, there we go. Perfect. You know, when you get old, you've got you to have the stuff close to you, you know? You can't be looking off. Actually, it depends on your eyesight, right? Some people have to, hey, hold this for me, will you, you know? So anyway, I'm really glad to be back. And I, I um, had a lot of conversations via email with Becky about coming. 
and uh, the, the question came uh, from Pastor Philip, uh, do you want to jump, jump in our series and preach that, or do you want to do your own thing? And I far prefer to jump in on somebody's series, because I'd hate having to, you know, figure out, what do I talk about, y- you know? Uh, I would much rather somebody say, preach this, and I go, Yes. You know, because it just takes all of it out. Because, you know, when you open the Word of God and you study the Word of God and you preach the Word of God, the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to divide asunder the soul and spirit and the thoughts and intents of the heart, the bone and marrow and the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, so if you just give me a text, let's go, right? So that's where I'm at this morning. We're going to be looking in uh, John chapter 12. That's where we are in the series. And... Um, I had a wonderful time. Uh, actually, I had incredible conversations since I got here, and uh, uh, at, and, it, and it began really with with uh, lunch with Pastor Philip on, uh, I guess it was Friday. Yes, it was Friday, and uh, just a just a blessing because I had never had a chance to get to know Pastor Philip at all, and so I was incredibly blessed by that, and uh, uh, I hope that it was as Paul says in Romans of mutual encouragement. Um, and so this morning, we're going to be taking a look at what uh, is commonly referred to as the triumphal entry of Jesus. You're, I'm going to be reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. And if that's not what you have or you don't have that on your app, it's going to be there. Okay? So everybody's okay. Uh, would you join me in prayer for this text, please? Father, we thank you for the Word of God. We thank you that you have inspired the Word of God that is completely trustworthy that we can learn from it. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would, would illuminate us as you inspired this word, that you would illuminate us this morning, that we may understand it, that we may apply it, and that we may live it to the glory of Jesus about whom we preach. And we exalt you, God, because you are worthy and you are great and you are worthy of praise, not because of what you do necessarily, just because of who you are. And so we thank you. And we pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Hey, how many of y'all like parades? Okay, right? A lot of you like parades. All right, for those of you that did not put your hand up, how many of you liked them when you were a kid? Okay, a couple more hands went up, all right? Parades are, are fun. They're kind of a part of human culture, actually. We go back to the Roman Empire, and parades were important to celebrate military victories. In fact, when some people back in those days beat the Romans, they would mock the Roman parade and march the Roman soldiers down enslaved. And that still goes on in some cultures today. But we celebrate in most parades, right? We are celebrating. Uh, And we think of the spectacle of the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, now, I got a question. This is a logistical question. We, it comes on at 9 o'clock in the morning for us. How many of y'all get up at 6 to watch this thing? Or do they delay it? Aha! We're sitting and watching breakfast yesterday. Watching breakfast, yeah. We were sitting eating breakfast yesterday morning in a restaurant. And I looked up on the screen and I saw a, a, a NASCAR race. I'm not a NASCAR fan, but I know what time NASCAR races start. I, we saw a NASCAR race start, but I'm going, What? What time is it? What's going on? And because the three-hour thing kind of throws me a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And, and so, uh, so they delay it for y'all. That's excellent. The Macy's, that's a big spectacle, right? I'd hate for y'all to have to get up at 6 a.m. to watch that thing. Nobody, nobody would watch it, right? 
So the Macy's is a spectacle. We watch your Rose Bowl late in the day, right? And then um, in our town, there is a Christmas parade in this shopping center. Now, this is a really old shopping center that's got a lot of really expensive stores, and it's really dressed up. And every year on the morning after Thanksgiving, they put on this Christmas parade. And it's like this little local thing in the neighborhood. And they got a fire truck, and they got a, a, a middle school band, and they got a bunch of little girls with, with batons, right? And then uh, other groups of kids doing this and that and the other thing, right? And it's amazingly well attended, you know? So if you want to go to this little parade... If you want to kind of get involved, you got to get there kind of early unless you want to walk a long way because you have to get a parking place in the shopping center. And there are a lot of people there for different reasons. A lot of people there just, oh, well, it's, it's time to go shopping, right? We need a break because we just did the 6 a.m., 4 a.m. thing on the morning after Thanksgiving. It's because it's Black Friday, right? So we just did that, so we're going to go to Greenberries and get a cup of coffee and a bagel or whatever. And... and and then there's the parade. The kids love the parade. So there's some people who are just watching, right? Then there's some people that are kind of invested in it, right? Why? Well, maybe their child is playing in that band. Or maybe their child is in this, this little group that's marching through. So they've got some investment. They've got some skin in that game. And then there are people who are actually in the parade itself. So there's kind of like three people and, and sometimes, you know, there's even somebody that's even further out because they kind of, you know, they were driving by and say, oh, look at that, let's stop. And then they stop and see the thing. And, and, and it's, it's, it's a spectacle, right? We're going to talk about a spectacle this morning. Uh, one of the most important parades that ever was, actually. Uh, and, 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 and we have to think about uh, the parades that we have because every four years, the U.S. has a big parade in Washington, D.C. What am I thinking about? The inaugural parade. Right after the president gets inaugurated, they have a parade in Washington, D.C. And a lot of people that were his supporters, whoever he is, so if, you know, under one president, you'll be, have a whole lot of people that lean one way, and under another president, you'll have a whole lot of people that lean the other way. And, and, but you'll have a, you know, the, the bands are really incredibly good and proficient. You have military walking down. So Washington, D.C. becomes a spectacle on that day, right? This that we're about to look at is kind of an inaugural parade, okay? Because John Calvin said this, that in this event, Jesus openly declares that he commences his reign by advancing to death, Think about that for a second. Jesus commences, he begins his reign as king of glory by advancing in this parade to his death and burial and resurrection, thanks be to God, right? And, and, and another uh, scholar, <clears throat> B.F. Westcott, who, who, who was in the 19th century in England, he said, he said that this text is one of the more exciting texts in the narrative of the week because of the spectacle, because there's this great buildup. What is the buildup all about? In verse 12, it says this. The next day, the crowd, the large crowd had come to the feast, 
heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So a bunch of people heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. Calvin goes so far as to say that rather than this being some potentate sending out his, his, his trumpeters to proclaim, da, 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 the king is coming, it's the spirit who touches people to understand it's time to come. So there are some people that are there who have some skin in the game, right? There are also some casual observers who see this thing happening, and they're going, what's going on? Then there's another group of people, and they've been kind of moved by the show. You know what I mean by the show? To them, to many people, I think, back then, and maybe still today, Jesus and all that he did was kind of a show for them. It was kind of an entertainment thing. Because we know that a lot of people who were hanging out and going around along with the crowd maybe got fed at the feeding of the 4,000 or the 5,000, right? They were just there to see what was going on. They weren't the real deal quite yet or maybe ever, right? Because we know that amongst them were scribes and Pharisees who cr frequently created a kind of a deal, created an argument, got into a, a thing with Jesus or the disciples, so there's, there's always several kind of people hanging out. But Calvin says that he, he believes that, that the Spirit of God drew people amongst that crowd who came to see Jesus. And verse 13 says, So they took branches of palm leaves and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of of Israel. When I read that, you know what I thought about? You shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. You shall call him Jesus, for he shall save, in the name of the Lord, he shall save his people from their sins. Yahweh saves is what his name means. And this exclamation comes from Psalm 118. They shouted, Hosanna! We should take this as a challenge to shout Hosanna all the time, you know? God is all the time working. God is all the time moving in our lives. God is all the time solving stuff for us. God is there. We got a, I got a text message, I don't even know when it was now, while I've been here, and, and my grandson, who's one years old, had a, had a, had a fever and so this group text went out to the grandparents and, and the siblings, and, and it was like, little Will's got this fever, and please pray. And so everybody started praying, and, and where I was, and I don't actually even remember where I was, but where I was, we stopped and we prayed. Was it at your house, Becky? Becky and Joe, we, we stopped and we prayed for my little grandson. And, and, and others, uh, his other granddad happens to be speaking at a conference happened to be speaking at a conference up in Oakland, and he and, and a, a group of his friends stopped and prayed, and people just began to pray. They took little Will to the doctor yesterday morning and said he's got the flu. Well, at 4 o'clock yesterday afternoon, there was no temperature, and little Will was normal. Now, I'm not claiming that was a miraculous healing. Don't get me wrong, but that was God at work. 
because God works providentially in times when he doesn't do miraculous things because God's always doing great stuff for us because he's with us. And he has that power. And that's what was happening that day when people were coming in to see Jesus as he was coming in. And they were saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Are you saying, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord every day, all day long? That's that's an important question for you and me to think about. What are the many ways we can bless him? Verse 14, and Jesus found a donkey, a young donkey, and sat on it, just as it is written. And this is from Zechariah 9, 9, fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. Now, this text is really interesting. This is, Zechariah 9, 9 says this, behold, your king is coming to you righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Our humble king, Jesus, doesn't come with this big military entourage wearing fine clothes, riding in a chariot. No. He comes in his robe, and his sandals, we might guess. And he gets on a donkey, a humble animal. But as he rides in, the people proclaim his greatness. He doesn't proclaim his own greatness. In fact, there have been a couple of times in the past where there was this movement to do a similar kind of thing as is happening right now. But Jesus said, no, now is not the time. And he would slip away. Now the time had come. Now the time had come. You remember when, when at, the, at the, uh, <clears throat> the wedding at Cana, he said to Mary, he says, my time has not yet come. In fact, that's an interesting study to do throughout the, the Gospels is to look at all of the different times that Jesus said, my time has not yet come. Well, guess what? His time had come. And the triumphal entry is happening. He's coming into Jerusalem. It's interesting, he's on this donkey. You know, after Christianity got rolling, okay, uh, and, and, and the study of Christian history is an interesting thing because there's a lot of ups and downs, and, and in, in the beginning was, there was a lot of ups and a lot of downs, and some of the downs are really down for the first couple of hundred years because there's incredible persecution that took place. And there's a lot of anti-Christian sentiment within the Roman Empire, both official and unofficial, Right? And Christians were accused of atheism because they weren't worshiping the Roman gods. You were welcome to worship Jesus, but you also had to worship the Roman gods, the main one being Caesar. And if you didn't do that, you were charged with atheism, and that was the main charge that people were got in trouble for because they refused to worship Caesar because Jesus is Lord. Well, there was some anti-Christian graffiti, and, and, and there's, a, there's a piece of anti-Christian graffiti found in Rome uh, that dates back to the uh, late 100s. And some of you may be familiar with this, but it's a man on a cross with the head of a donkey. See? And the idea is, is that because this was such a big deal that we're talking about today, this triumphal entry, because it was such a big deal that we're talking about, that, that this kind of went with the legend about Jesus, you know? 
And, and so sometimes this humility thing was mocked, right? Because people who don't understand things mock them. And Jesus was mocked in the early days of the church. The church was mocked. And so this coming out of this donkey is an incredible symbol of the humility of Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, together in this one-time being. He came from heaven to the earth and returned to heaven, and Jesus had to be that fully God, fully man for all that he did to really work. It was required. And he comes humbly. Now, he could have come with the greatest pomp and circumstance that any king had ever had because he had that kind of power. He could have snapped his fingers. And a multitude of angels who could out overpower any army could have appeared at his will. He could have snapped his fingers. And all sorts of finery could have existed and changed. And, and, and it, it would have been an amazing thing because Jesus had that power. But in a couple of days, after this triumphal entry, he's going to be on his knees in a garden. And what's he going to say to the Father? Not my will, but yours be done. We just sang it, didn't we? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth I like to change it here, on in my heart as it is in heaven. Thy will be done in my heart as it is in heaven. Listen to Zechariah 9.9 again, the middle of it. It says, Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of the donkey. Our humble king begins his reign... Marching to death on a donkey. Marching to death and burial and resurrection. Now that's kind of the end of the narrative. That's kind of the end of the, of the action part of this, of this text. The synoptics give us different kinds of details, but it is only here in John that we get some theological stuff going on. So let's look at the next verse. Verse 16, <laughs> I always laugh when I read these first five words because this happens so frequently in the New Testament, in the Gospels. His disciples did not understand. You know, you just see him going, what? Huh? What, what, what's happening, you know? His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, okay, death, burial, resurrection, he comes, and then he makes some incredible promises. If, 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 you've, if you've got a Bible handy, and if you can turn over to John 16, I'd like to read a paragraph. Sorry I didn't give this to you earlier. Uh, John chapter 16, I'd like to read verses 12 through 15. I still have many, this is now, remember, this is going to be happening a couple of days later. It's in his prayer time, Right? And he says, I still, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Sorry, this is not in the prayer time. The high priestly prayer starts in the next chapter. Who's he talking to here? He's talking to the disciples. You cannot bear them now. Why? 
Well, theologically, we understand this pretty simply. The Holy Spirit had not yet come upon them, right? And it was up to the Holy Spirit to do the reminding. C.S. Lewis says, in mere Christianity, he says, we need more reminding than we need teaching. Interesting to think about what Lewis said there and listen to the rest of this. Verse 13, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but what Ever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus is speaking here, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So it's the Holy Spirit that's going to help the disciples and us understand what's happening. It's the Holy Spirit that inspired this word so that we may have the word of God, so that we may hear from God. And then it is the Holy Spirit who works in us to help us understand the word of God and and illuminates us to, to apply the word of God. His disciples did not understand these things. I'm back in, in our text, verse 16. But when Jesus was glorified, even, they even remembered these things had been written. They remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. Listen, the disciples were often clueless. All right, raise your hand if you've been clueless. Now, I don't know why some of those hands did not go up. You know, it's like raise your hand if you've got pride. Uh-oh, some of y'all are in trouble. Here's C.S. Lewis says, C.S. Lewis says, if you think you have no pride, you are very prideful indeed. The disciples were often clueless, and I take great solace in that fact. You know, I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Because it is the Holy Spirit that taught them, and the Holy Spirit that teaches us, and the Holy Spirit helps us figure out what is going on. The disciples were often clueless and had to be reminded later. Let us be reminded. Let us be in the Word of God every day. I used to pull that punch. You know how you pull punches, right? I used to pull that punch. I used to say, we need to be in the Word of God regularly. No. Sorry. It is not a weekly deal. It is not a monthly deal. It's not a Sunday morning deal, right? It's an everyday deal. We need to be in the Word of God every day. Why? Because it changes us. It informs us. It helps us. It encourages us. It convicts us, right? We need to be in the Word of God every day. If you're not in the Word of God every day, can I give you a little tip? Okay, so if you're not in the Word of God every day, get in it. How do you do that? How do you do that so that it is, I hate to say it this way, easy? Well, if you've got a smartphone, get the YouVersion Bible app, right? And go to the, uh, the reading plans and start out with this one. You ready? You listening? The Essential 100. Get the Essential 100 on the version. If you're not reading anything, or if you've kind of taken a break and you need to get back into it, go to the Essential 100. It's like, it's like these mountaintops of the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation, these incredible stories of the faithfulness of God that will remind you of how great He is and how faithful He has been to His people throughout all of history, and it will build you up. And then work your way way through some others and and get into the Word of God every day because the Word of God is quick and powerful and it is able to change us. Okay, so 
after the narrative, after the story about what happened on the triumphal entry, the first thing John says is, we didn't know what was happening. That's essentially what his disciples didn't understand, because John was one of them, right? So he's saying, we didn't know what was happening. But then in verse 17, the next one, we have the second sort of theological question, what's going on with this story? And that is that the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. So people who had seen him work told about what he had done. All right, now if I had my act together, I'd have you three concentric circles up there, but I don't have my act together, so I don't, all right? So just think of a little circle here, okay? And then another circle outside of that, right? And then one more circle here, all right? So we got in the middle, think of a target, right? A bullseye kind of a deal. So you got these three circles, and you got the middle circle. Let me do the outside first. There's a lot of onlookers. You know, these are the people that were driving by that shopping center, and they saw the parade, and they go, oh, let's go check that out, Right? There's a lot of onlookers. They stop and they look and they figure out, what's, what's happening here? What's going on here? And they ask one of the disciples and they go, I have no idea, right? And then there's seekers. These might be people who, who had actually gotten a piece of that fish and a piece of that bread. And have been kind of walking around outside, kind of on the fringes, you know? And they're sort of checking this thing out, but they're not sure what to think about it. And they say to the disciples, what's going on? They go, I have no idea. But then they come to the disciples. And there's a lot of disciples, not just the 12. There's a lot of them, okay? But the 12 are the key, and the three in the middle are, the, are you know, the beloved disciple, right? And there's, so there's, there's, there's Peter and James and John. They're in the middle, right? And then there's the other guys, and then there's a bunch more. And, and so that, that, that middle thing is not just 12 people plus Jesus. It's a, it's a bit bigger. I don't really know how many it is. But these are people that have given up everything. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, doing a lot of study on what is, what, is a, what is a disciple. And what does it mean to make disciples? Because I'm writing a paper for a program I'm in on what, what is this all about. So I'm going back to the Greek, and I'm looking at the history of this word. And I'm looking at what a lot of scholars have said. What is a disciple? Somebody that's given up everything. They've given up everything. And they're following Jesus with all they've got. So that when they go to work, wherever it is they go to work, back in my day, well, I would have said IBM, and today I think I better say Google or Apple or something, you know or Target, or, or wherever it is you go to work. When you go to work, you take Jesus with you in such a way that you do what Becky said I did, but don't really, okay? Becky was kind, but, you know, I'm a mess. I'm a sinner saved by grace. Paul said this in Romans 7, and I have claimed it for my own, O wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death, right? Because that's where I'm at, wretched man. But thanks be to God, What? Through whom? Jesus Christ our Lord. And there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's an important phrase. In Christ Jesus. These disciples, they're in Christ Jesus. They've given everything for him. They're taking him with him to Target. They're taking him with him to Starbucks or Pete's. 
They're taking, him, they're taking Jesus with them wherever they go. Yeah, they bring him here too, right? Because he's in them and they're in him. And that's what the whole thing in John 17 is about. Father, I am in them and you are as you are. I am in you and you are in, and we're all together. How's that possible? The Holy Spirit's indwelling, right? Empowering, enabling us to give up everything and follow after Jesus. Follow him hard. Sometimes, in some places, even to the point of death. A lot in the news about ISIS these days. A lot in the news about what's happening to the Christians that are in their path. Both the children that are being killed and the women that are being sold and the men that are being... A lot in the news. Listen, I got news for y'all. That's been going on in the central countries of Africa by Muslim extremists for a long time, and we don't hear much about that, you know? That's been going on for the, for, for the entire two millennia of the church. People give their lives for Jesus willingly. They're probably scared, but they know that when this life ends, they are in the presence of the Lord, and they're willing to do that. Am I willing to do that? I'm not sure, man. Gosh, that's, that's, that's a tough thing, you know? Yeah. I'm willing to die, but what about my family? You know, am I willing for my family? I gosh, that's hard, you know? And that's what it means to give up and be a disciple. So you got the, you got you got the you got the onlookers, onlookers, you got the seekers, and you got disciples who really sold themselves out for Jesus. Hey, you know what question's coming next, right? What are you? So if we had the chart up here, which I wasn't prepared for, if we got this target up here, we got the onlookers, we got the seekers, we got the disciples, where are you? Where am I? Where are we? Verse 18 says, the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. Listen, people are always looking for a show, right? You're going down the interstate, sorry, the freeway, i got to use the Western language. <laughs> it's like, everybody's talking about we're going we're gonna to barbecue today, and I'm going, what? You're going to barbecue? You're going to get a pork sandwich with sauce on it? Is that what you're going to do? No, we're going to barbecue. Oh, you're going to cook out. You're going to grill. All right, I get it, you know. So if you're going down the freeway, speaking the West Coast language, and there's an accident, what drives the emergency workers crazy? Everybody's slowing down. For safety's sake? No. They're rubbernecking. Do y'all use that word out here? Okay, all right. <laughs> so, so everybody's slowing down because they want to get a look at what's happened, right? A lot of onlookers in the world. So there's always somebody looking around to see what's going on. People are always looking for a show. Jesus was often surrounded by interested onlookers. These are not yet believers, and some of them may be converts, right? They may have gone to something, a college meeting, a church service, an evangelistic outreach, and they were convinced of their need for Christ, and they made a decision, and they have become a convert, and then that's it. Jesus did not tell anybody to fill buildings with converts. Jesus said, go 
make. Actually, that's not what he said. What Jesus actually said is, as you're going, in your regular life, that's what the Greek word from which we translate go really means, make disciples, right? Nowhere does he say, fill buildings with converts. Are you a disciple? That's an important question. In the history of the church, and I proclaim myself an expert on this, in the history of the church, there's been a real, a real lack of disciple-making. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship. Anybody ever read that book? Okay, a couple of you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in The Cost of Discipleship t- sends that way back to the early 300s and blames it on what he called the secularization of the church. i got a, lo- a lot of other factors that I blame it also on. But the point being that discipleship, making disciples, got lost and the making of converts got found. And so therefore, because there has not been an emphasis in the church's history that much on making disciples, it's normal to become a convert and just hang out. You with me? We are not called to be normal. We are called to live supernaturally in the power of God. Are you a disciple? Are you engaged in discipleship? I was in, I was, I've been incredibly excited to hear about the different ways that Twin Oaks has got some discipleship happening and some disciples making disciples happening. I'm real excited about that. That is fantastic. And I hope you all will get involved in disciple-making in one way or another. Verse 19, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. So those guys, they're kind of sitting back. Somebody put a stool up here, so I got to use it at some point, right? They're just kind of going, what's going on over here? Look at this. Look at these people. They're, they're, they should not be taking those palm leaves from that man's farm, right? They should not be. He's probably got a reason for those things to be there. What are these guys saying Hosanna for? Do they even know theologically what Hosanna means? Are they aware that that began with the beginning of the second temple? Do they know? That? These guys are watching. But this is not the first time they've done that. Because back in John chapter 11, verse 53, actually, let me read a, a bit more than that. After Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, and there's that huge celebration going on there. In verse 48 of John 11, it says, If we will let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then look at what they're really concerned about. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. What are these guys worried about? They're worried about losing their position, their deal, right? And then it goes on, and then at the end of that paragraph, in verse 53, it says, this is, this is after Jesus raises Lazarus. These guys confer in verse 53, and it says, so from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Verse 54 says, Jesus therefore no, no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town, and then it goes on. And then we come to today's text, and Jesus makes this triumphal entry. So you see, my friends, 
the fact that he was willing to make this triumphal entry, he knew what was coming, right? He knew what was coming. They were making plans to put him to death, and he walked right in, understanding the necessity of the death, the suffering of Christ on the cross for you and me, as he opened his arms wide to embrace all humans who would trust him and follow him and call him Lord and become his disciples. And then he would be buried, and then he rose from the grave, defeating death. In verse 19, at the end of our text, it says, So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. They increased their plans. So we see some groups of people this morning. Onlookers, rubbernecking, right? People that have a little skin in the game. And people who have made a real big decision. Who have forsaken everything to follow Jesus. In the cost of discipleship, Bonhoeffer goes on to say that it was the... Uh, It was the monasteries that kept discipleship alive as the church kind of did its thing for a long time. And then a, then, then, then a monk came along and woke things up, Martin Luther. And that Luther really did forsake everything. How could he do that? Because Jesus made it possible and the Holy Spirit gave him the power. You know, when you go to work tomorrow... Are you going to be facing some mocking? Are you going to be facing, you know, whatever? When we face these things, we do not have to fear because of the Spirit of God that is within us, because of what Jesus has done for us. He has gone before us to make that way possible. You know, I work, I work in uh, a lot of different places, Ukraine, Hungary, Croatia, uh, Serbia, a stick my foot in Bosnia every once in a while, in South Africa, and it looks like I'm headed for Congo next year. Just because God has opened a lot of doors as time has gone by, and I deal with a lot of people that, that deal with similar but different kinds of persecution. And as we are persecuted, wherever we are, to whatever level it is, let us remember that Jesus walked willingly into that city, being exalted but the plans had been made for him to die, for me, for you. And I love these people that I work with because they, they understand those costs. I've brought a, uh, 20-ish flyers that tell more about what's happening with us, and, and I hope you'll grab one there out there on the table. And I hope you'll grab one of these, and, and I'll be around, and if you'd like to ask questions about what CEOs, that, you know, I've, I've come to preach God's word, not to promote a cause. You know what I'm saying? But I'd love to talk to you about the cause. And I really thank you. I really thank you for supporting us. Because when times get rough and the, and the, and, and the resources get tight, it's always encouraging to see that support coming in from Twin Oaks every month. It's such a blessing. Thank you so much for what you do as a partner. This is you. This ain't about me. This is about you. You make this happen because you invest in us and you pray for us 
and you send us to these places. Thank you. We can't do it without you. You're our oldest, longest. I struggle with calling you the oldest supporting church. You know what I'm saying? Some people might take offense at that, but it's what it is, you know. And uh, we're grateful. These guys all say thank you. I say thank you. Join us in prayer. Please support the cause that we, we got going on, whether it be planting vegetables for people with AIDS or rescuing girls off of prostitution or, or getting kids out of an orphanage into a home or preaching the gospel. Or me going into the homes and churches of pastors and saying, how are you in God? Hey, listen, I emphasize to them the same thing I did to you. Get in the Word of God for yourself every day, right? If Pastor Philip were here, he couldn't be here this morning because of unwell children. If Pastor Philip were here, I'd be pointing at him and going, get in the Word of God. He just, he got off the hook somehow. All these guys squirm when I do that to him, you know? How's your prayer life? How's your marriage? That's my job. First things first. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, thank you for marching in and getting on a donkey and going to your death for us. Thank you for willingly enduring the brutality and being buried and then three days later rising from the dead to give us liberation. Father, thank you for sending your son. Spirit, thank you for coming to us as you have been sent by them. Help us, O oh God, to give you glory as we forsake the world and follow you. Help us do that today in our neighborhoods, in the restaurant, at lunch, at work or at school tomorrow. For me, on three airplanes going home, help us to live for you, forsaking all to be your disciple. Help us cast off convertness and embrace discipleship. Thank you, God, for making that possible. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning and great is your faithfulness. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen.